Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine, Sports Medcast in collaboration with the BJSM. I am Caitlin Mooney, a primary care sports medicine physician at UT Health San Antonio, and I will be your host today. On this podcast, we will be discussing sports bras with Dr. Katie Rizzoni, who is a sports medicine physician and associate professor of orthopedics and pediatrics at the University of Rochester. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to chat on this topic. I think this is such an important topic for women and girls in sports. It is great that female participation in physical activity has increased over the last half a century, but breast support and comfort are essential to keep women participating comfortably. While bras are something that women are familiar with and wear every day, I don't think we think much about the bra or the sports bra. What got you interested in this topic? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's been almost 50 years um, since Title IX was passed, and it's been a wonderful accelerant in terms of increasing female participation in sport, both at the community level and at the high school level uh, and the collegiate level. And, you know, watching the uh, women's soccer team play in Tokyo, it's pretty amazing because, again, 50 years ago, that that type of stuff wasn't happening. So, Interestingly, and, and as a female athlete myself, there is a paucity of research on the sports bra, which I would say for the vast majority of women is an essential piece of sporting equipment. So we have a lot of research on helmets, right, for concussion. We have research on protected pads for collision sports. We have research on shoe wear you know, for uh, maybe like sprinting events and things like that. And in terms of how it impacts biomechanics of an athlete, injury risk and performance. But there's really not much on sports bras, which again, most women are going to need. um, And with that increase in participation, we're just seeing a lot more female athletes, period. So what got me interested is because as a female athlete, there wasn't much out there. Um, And, you know, we were just kind of sitting around at a conference saying, yeah, you know, there's not really much out there. And I fully endorse the use of Twitter for keeping up on what's happening in, in the sporting community and, and in research. And I think there was someone who posted something. I was like, oh, that's really interesting because there's a group in Great Britain who looks at uh, some of the biomechanics of sports bras and there's a group in Australia. There's people out there doing great work, but no one had really done anything on American women and not to be totally focused on the United States. But since I live here, you know, there, there wasn't anything and we have a pretty large population. We felt as a group that it was important to get some data. So this was one of those on the back of a napkin ideas after we had gone out for a late dinner and people were saying, you know, these are all other female sports uh, medicine physicians. And we're like, we should do something. So that's where this all started. That's such a great story. When we were approached about doing this podcast, I really wanted to be the host because I remember Google searching this. It must have been actually about 15 years ago. And there really wasn't anything. And it must have been a specific question I had in my head. But it just went to the back burner. I never thought about it again until I saw your Um, this talk come out at AMSSM. So it's really great that you guys actually looked into it. Can you give us a brief history of breast support in sport? How did the sports bra actually come into existence? So um, with the increase in physical activity that was, you know, pretty much um, encouraged by Title IX, but also it was really with the advent of running, like, you know, in the seventies, like kind of running for recreation and uh, physical activity and health was really uh, highlighted and that trend started. So 
I uh, have definitely run in a regular, I guess what I'll call fashion bra before because I forgot my bra, you know, when, when I was about to go do a workout and I hate it. It's, it's uncomfortable. Um, I'm like, God, I'm wrecking, you know, this regular bra, you know, uh, here I am working out, getting a good workout and sweating and uh, it, it's itchy and it's scratchy and I'm wrecking this fabric that I've spent a ton of money on. So the history is that there really wasn't much out there for many, many years, even at the high level of sports, women, I mean, if you think about it, at the early Olympics, women were probably still wearing corsets uh, to, to participate, which is crazy. So people were wearing what I would either say regular bras or fashion bras or non-sports bras to be active. And again, any woman, woman who has done that knows how uncomfortable that is. So the first sports bra was actually, in, in terms of um, how the story and how the history goes, was um, from two women who were active, wanted to get running, had a friend who was a costume designer, and they basically took one of the women's boyfriend's two jock straps, hopefully clean, and um, sewed them together. And uh, if you look at the pictures of the prototype, like if you Google that, it's kind of crazy. Like it works out fine. It makes sense. But yeah, I think we just take for granted that, you know, you can go and get a sports bra pretty much anywhere, whether or not it's going to fit you and, and feel good and, and be an appropriate price is another thing. Uh, these women were really starting from literally scratch. And so from there, had an entrepreneurial bent and um, invented what they called was the jog bra and started to market that. And just like I think anything uh, that's a really good idea, companies realize the market for it. And I was born in the late seventies and, you know, probably I would say, so what was that? I mean, a couple years after this was invented is when I was born. Um, and so that's the type of thing that I think through the eighties and nineties, I mean, certainly by the time I was participating in sports in high school in the nineties, there were options out there, not as many as today but there is definitely options out there. So um, I think it's been a very natural progression, but again, I'll highlight just how long that all took. I mean, like thinking about just the evolution of sneaker technology, right? And shoe technology, you know, everyone's foot is different. Everyone's playing different sports. Um, for a long time, there was just kind of very uh, standard sports bras that were available. And now we're seeing more and more that, you know, women might have some choices in terms of what type of um, bra they'd like to have. So again, I think about it, and maybe if that's the one thing that people can come away from this podcast, if there's only one thing, is that sports bras is really an essential piece of equipment for women who are going to be active, whether playing organized sports or not, just to be active, to be physically active, because I think everyone in AMSSM is a strong component of exercise as medicine. So we really want people to be able to be encouraged to be active. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about somehow, sometimes how um, breast size can uh, really prevent that from happening. Yeah, we certainly have come a long way from the original breast supports and sports. It's really hard to believe that even when people were coming through the Title IX pipeline that they weren't using sports bras. I can't even imagine doing cross country or running, which was my sport, without them. So that just seems so uncomfortable. And I agree, it's just such an essential piece of equipment for women athletes. It's hard for me to believe that it started with something as simple as a jock shop and those women are great entrepreneurs to have started with something that they can use as a prototype and really go from there some of those historical options of corsets though just sound so painful and it's incredible that anyone was participating at that time it really i think highlights that there's obviously back historically there was a lot of gender disparity in sport um, I mean, we continue to see that in terms of even just at the national team level, I'll use the women's soccer team as an example. The, the World Cup has been played on turf. 
for women because it's deemed to be um, you know, less expensive to use those stadiums and less maintenance versus the men are playing on grass fields. And we, but we also know at the same time that turf may increase risk of someone injuring their ACL. And we know that women uh, athletes are at a higher risk of tearing their ACL, um, same as the pay disparity you know, at the national team level and also the professional sports level. So you can make everything snowballed and everything. I understand that. But I think that overarchingly, there's still just less emphasis on, uh, again, equipment that is pertaining specifically to women and, you know, injuries that affect women more, you know, with the exception of of ACL uh, research, which I think, you know, goes pretty broad and and in depth, you know, stress fractures, I still are think we we still don't have a ton of great data um, and we're getting there um, and stress fractures affect women um, at a higher rate. So I think it just highlights it's another aspect of the gender disparity in sports. Agreed. There's so many, there's so much information on the uh, gender disparities in healthcare and sports now that it will be exciting to see hopefully more research come out that will address that. Can you tell me a little bit about what issues women athletes have with their breasts? Yeah, I mean, certainly what we saw in our study, and I think what other studies have found as well, is that there's a number of women who really highlight as lack of support as being a barrier or an obstacle to being more physically active. I th- in our study, um, we, we looked at a population of 11 to 64, so we had a pretty wide range, but then we did also specifically focus on the adolescent population of 11 to 18 and, you know, look at answers um, stratified by both those groups and more than a quarter in both the overarching um, group of the, of the cohort, but also um, women between the ages of 11 to 18 identified that lack of support uh, or breast pain or breast discomfort prevented them from being as active as they wanted to be. So that is one. And the other thing that I will highlight is, you know, there's really uh, an economic disparity in sport. I mean, we know this, right? We talk about this with specialization. Um, we talk about this with access to safety equipment um, for sports, but sports bras are really expensive and it's particularly sports bras that may be more comfortable for women. So I, there's a huge economic disparity, uh, particularly in, in women in, in, in the lower economic income quartiles. And so that, I think, is another barrier. So price was identified as another barrier. And then also just comfort, right? I mean, so support's important. I mean, overwhelmingly support was identified as the highest concern or barrier by the people in our cohort, but also comfort as well. And it's interesting because, you know, we didn't, these were not qualitative um, interviews. You know, we didn't really engage with the participants who, was in, who are in our cross-sectional study. But it was almost, I was surprised that the gap between um, support and comfort identified as being important. It's almost like women are like, well, if I have to pick between both, I pick support, which is kind of crazy. Like, I mean, you would want, you would hope that people would, you know, be feeling comfortable as well. Yeah, and that's very interesting to think about actually all of those issues. I know when I am in groups of people in sporting events, different types of people also have different issues with their sports bras. So it's interesting to see now with the uh, Facebook, internet, all these sorts of Facebook groups for different sporting events, how women will come together and discuss which ones work for them for their sport. 
So I think you're right. The balance between support and comfort, sometimes I see people recommending things that I wouldn't even have thought of just because I have a completely different body than they do. And also about the economic factor, it's interesting to think of how that might be, those groups of people are also sometimes the groups of people who aren't participating as much in sport and whether if they had better access to more supportive or more comfortable bras, if that would impact that. I know there's, like you said, the snowball effect of multiple other issues with um, that getting everybody to participate in sports, especially in the lower socioeconomic groups, just being there's a lot of barriers. But I wonder if how many people that's a huge factor for. Yeah, I think you really hit on the intersection of uh, economics and health, right? And, and we know that. And I, I hope this is going to be, um, you know, with, between COVID and the fight for racial justice, like over the last 18 months, I view this as an opportunity for us within sports medicine, but also in the larger field of medicine to just really be very focused on these disparities because they're real and we know about it. We, we know about them. And there's a lot of research epidemiologically showing that. But then, you know, what are our action steps in, in terms of uh, addressing that? And I think, you know, it's social media, I think, is can be negative in so many ways. I, I say this on a podcast, uh, which is ironic, but I also think it can be really positive because one of the issues with sports, I mean, you know, you, again, I'll use shoes as an analogy. So, I mean, there are many, many, many discussion groups about different types of shoes and their fit and, you know, how long their wear is and their costs and things like that. And that definitely uh, exists for sports bodies, but just not to the nth degree. Because if you think about it, again, it's a female focused thing. It's really geared in on that segment of the population, whereas, you know, probably anyone feels like they can talk about shoes. So every woman is different. Every breast is different. The vast majority of women's breasts are two different sizes, you know? So can you imagine if you had to buy two different sneakers? Uh, you know, I, I know people have to do this. Um, you know, if your, your feet are two different sizes or two different comforts and we're just kind of like, yeah, whatever, like here's your bra. So, I mean, I, I know this sounds very avant-garde or even a radical thought, but you know, I mean, should we have custom sports bras? It would probably be super expensive, but we have custom orthotics. You know, we do a lot of things at this point that are really geared towards a good fit. So, um, you know, I think that that's thought about in female athletes who are maybe, you know, post mastectomy or, you know, there, there's a lot of obviously medical um, things that happen to the breast postpartum. I mean, you know, if someone's breastfeeding or post-pregnancy, I mean, your breasts are totally different. So I, I, there are some sports bras out there for postpartum women, but you know, there's not like the, um, I don't I think there's a selection and then women who are of, of a larger size. I think we're doing so much better on social media, um, talking about, you know, the dangers of fat shaming and um, really advocating for everyone to feel confident and comfortable to becoming physically active. Because as you pointed out, oftentimes there's an intersection of that, you know, increased BMI and lower socioeconomic status and coupled with not appropriate access or not good access to sporting equipment that is necessary for that to occur. I mean, that's, you know, again, that might be a big barrier. And that's, I think one of the next steps that our research group is, you know, really interested in having is, you know, talking a little bit more um, in depth with some of the people that were participants in the study, just to even see, you know, where again are those barriers? Because I'm sure companies, I think, you know, like Nike and Adidas, and, you know, I, I don't even know all the brand names because I, I buy my sports bras at Target because they're less expensive. Um, it, it's one of those things where those companies are interested, but in the end, are they really basing it off of true feedback from women? And are they making things not only 
with good support, but are they comfortable and are they affordable? And that's a, that's a hard trifecta, you know, to hit. I think this is something a lot of people are really, I mean, just from the women's mountain biking groups I'm on on Facebook, I feel like this is one of the most common questions, but it's interesting how many people that's their biggest issue. Do you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, what's really cool. And, and similarly, I would say that I, I don't experience some of the same barriers and issues as some of my larger chested friends. And I mean, I remember in high school, there was a couple of, you know, my friends who were teammate, teammates for years. And basically the solution was to wear two sports bras, you know, which oh, is I just like, that. that's like so uncomfortable for so many reasons, just from a sweat standpoint and a chafing standpoint. And again, like even that necessarily wasn't comfortable. And, um, I think for so long, we've just kind of been like, all right, fine, I'll just jerry-rig this and do it this way. Um, whereas now, uh, I certainly am not uh, an expert on, on all the companies who are really invested in this area, but it's been cool to see. I feel like a lot of these are women-owned and women-driven you know, mm-hmm. companies and businesses. And I mean- you know, I, I think that um, anyone who's interested in this topic, anyone, you know, in terms of the research and development part of a company um, can make great strides with a product. But I, I have to think that it's really important to get direct feedback from women and that the people who are in that company, you know, it might be a little more expensive to put some extra stitching or extra fabric or extra, you know, kind of support areas. But that in the end, might really make the difference between a comfortable sports bra and a not comfortable sports bra. So we found in our study, and definitely other studies have found that, that larger chested women are more likely to have breast discomfort, certainly are much more likely to feel like they need to wear more than one sports bra, and are more likely to be limited in their physical activity. Um, We all know that there's an obesity epidemic in our country and really across the world. And I think that an increased BMI naturally goes with a larger chest area. And so, you know, I think it's even, I, I, there might be someone listening to this to be like, well, you know, I I don't need a sports when, when I work out and, you know, I don't, I don't, these are issues that, you know, I'm so happy and I support women for focusing on this, but in the end, like if a female teenager comes into your clinic and has back pain or has, you know, just seems to be overall like, yeah, I don't really like gym. Like the type of person who's like, yeah, I have knee pain. I have telephone knee knee pain. Can you write me a note to be at a gym? Well, maybe it's not the knee pain. Like maybe there's a confidence issue. Maybe there's embarrassment. Maybe they don't have the appropriate support. And again, it's usually that exact person who would and should be probably more active and would benefit from it. So those are the types of questions I feel like we should be prompted to answer. Like if someone comes in with back pain, a young female, how is your bra support? I've asked this before and and people kind of react with, you know, almost a little bit of shock. Like, Hey, how old are your bras? Again, I like wear mine until like they have holes in them. So I'm like, not the best role model. This is super cheap because they are really expensive, but asking them, you know, do you have good bra support? What type of bras do you wear during the day? you know, are, is this an issue that's, you know, are you having uh, breast pain in addition to back pain? Because biomechanically, it makes sense. If you're having back pain and you have a large chest that isn't getting good support, that's going to put different stressors on that. So I, I hope that that would be the second thing that people take away from this podcast is, you know, really ask, getting comfortable about asking these questions in clinic with your female athletes, particularly one who you feel like are, are, are larger chested and maybe need more support. Cause I think it is a huge barrier. 
That's such a great point. Cause even though it goes through my head, sometimes it is something that I don't often bring up, at least not on a first visit, but that might be the most important part. And I think it's something that especially our younger or teenage um, athletes won't bring up to us. Although even some adults probably won't bring it up. And that's why they're going on to message boards and such and asking about that. Cause that's something they wouldn't typically ask their physician, but it is a really important thing to be discussing because we know it does impact people's comfort and um, back pain, neck pain, breast pain. And if we're not asking about it, we're probably not fully addressing all of the issues in our clinic space. I know it's hard. We have a, a lot of things addressed. Like I really applaud, you know, our, all our colleagues, you know, in this field, um, and our peers. And I just think about it, the analogy of like, even as a woman, I needed to practice being what I like, it's kind of silly that I had to feel comfortable, but practice how I was bringing up, like, you know, when did you start your period? Do you have regular periods? I mean, disordered eating. I mean, all those are kind of like what we deem to be uncomfortable questions, which is super interesting because most of the time what we deem to be as uncomfortable is definitely related to being a female. So I just, I mean, that's an overarching like broader statement again on the gender disparity in sport, but it really leads to, to, there's a gender disparity in care, I guess is the point I'm trying Mm -hmm. to make. And we do it in arthritis. We do it in, you know, disordered eating patients. We do it, do it with red ass. So it it is the type of thing to start to practice is what I would ask people to do. Add it to your arsenal. I think you'd be really surprised with some of the answers that you get. Um, And to your point, it's not just adolescents. I think a lot of people in my generation older were really not taught to, you know, even to female physicians, or maybe they're not used to having a female physician to express like, actually, this is what's preventing me. This is what's holding me back. Those are all such great points about uncomfortable questions. And a lot of these things were taught not to discuss. The other thing I had questions about, and this is something that I noticed that I had very little knowledge on, were just the I know there's more than even two types of designs of sports bras, but I know there's kind of two main types. Is there, do you see any pros and cons of more like the compression style sports bras that kind of just compress the breast to the walls or kind of the more molded cup like support? Are there different people who would like different ones? Yeah, with our research, we didn't really seem find much of a difference. So we asked about, yeah, did you have a preference between encapsulation. So you have a cup for each breast versus compression, which is basically trying to restrict motion of the breast by just flattening the soft tissue of the breast to the chest. And then really a a combination, which most people seem to prefer a combination or compression. I also just think that from my own personal experience, again, not that I'm the best uh, purveyor of information because I'm cheap and I use my sports bras forever, but there just seems to be less or at least fewer options from an encapsulation standpoint. And the other thing that women talked about a lot, like we gave them a chance to, to put in like some free text, like ideas or like w- one of our questions that the, our last question on the survey was, if there's one thing that you can tell sports bar man- manufacturers, what would you tell them? And they're like, make the cups not move around. You know I mean? Like how many times, like if you have a sports bar with cups that are removable, which is kind of awesome. Cause then you can take them out in the wash or you can wash those. Like, you know, they get all like scrunched up and you have to like adjust them again. And I mean, it's like, 
it's kind of, we just do it as second nature because that's all we know. But can you imagine like, you know, again, having to do that with your equipment every single time you're active is it's a readjusting to be like, ah, you know, here I have to do this again. So to answer your question, there didn't really seem to be a difference in terms of age or anything like that. Um, some people didn't even have a preference at all. It didn't seem to be like a top concern. Again, like support, um, comfort and price seemed to be the top concern. You know, we asked about different types of straps, like whether it was like more like a racer back or like a tank top and, you know, overall women, you know, in the different age groups didn't really seem to prefer um, one based off of age. Like most people prefer the racer back, but I think I would say it's probably a biased answer because I think that's really what's out there. You know, I mean, I think if, you know, a woman was actually like went in and got a fitting and was, and, and was offered like, Hey, try these straps versus these straps versus these straps. I think a lot of women would be like, oh my gosh, I would have never even thought about this because one of the other things we found with our results is that women tend to buy whatever brand or setup they had bought before. You know, they're not super adventuresome. They're not like, ooh, let me try this because I know myself, again, they're expensive. So I don't want to spend 50 to 100 or even $150. So if no one's ever bought a sports bra, like that's how much they can cost, which is again, crazy because it's not like you get like one pair of running sneakers, but like you probably need more than one bra. So, you know, this is like multiples. Um, so people tend to just go with what they were comfortable with. I wasn't even aware of this until I did this study. Uh, we definitely asked about whether they had gotten a uh, professional bra fitting before just for a regular non-sports bra, fashion bra. And there was a, there was, you know, probably less than half, maybe about a quarter had said that, but apparently there's sports bras fittings that you can get. And I don't think all stores offer that. I certainly would hope that that would maybe become a trend that someone could get, you know, some expertise in that in a running store or sports goods store, because that might be really helpful for a woman to say, gosh, you know, based off of your kind of measurements and where you feel like you need support, I would steer you towards this brand. Because a lot of women will be like, well, what brand should I get? And unfortunately, just like with anything, some of it is just trial and error. Unfortunately, I, I don't think you can plug in your dimensions and be like, oh, do this because everyone is just so different. Yeah. It's interesting too, when you read about um, bra fittings, it's what over 50% of women are wearing the wrong size, which is pretty astounding. Um, if that's, if that would be helpful for better support, um, where can people get bra fittings? So we don't know. <laughs> We've talked about this as a research group. And I think like, I didn't find anything online where it's like, you know, you can look up registered sports dietitians or, you know, like someone who like really kind of specializes in that area. So I do think on, that is probably going to be more word of mouth. And I have a feeling it is going to be female driven. Like, you know, if, I'm just going to use an example. Like you have a running store, you know, locally that everyone kind of goes to and get their running stuff. You know, if someone there took interest in being like, I'm going to kind of look into this. Um, I used to work, you know, for uh, a bra manufacturer company or, you know, some type of company that sells regular fashion bras. I can bring this knowledge, you know, to this uh, field. I think that'd be really interesting because looking up, there's no standardized way. There's certainly some people who are doing great research on looking at the biomechanics, but there's no definition of, okay, based off of this and this, you, again, you should look at this brand or you should focus on this material, or you should consider this type of um, strap orientation. So it's, I would say it's very non-sciencey and I, I goes back to what you're saying. I think it's a lot of women helping each other through discussion and suggesting things. And again, probably going out and spending money and trying different ones until they figure out what works, but that goes right back to the economic disparity that I feel like exists with a lot of things, but particularly in something like this. But going back to your point on length of time, 
to use a sports bra or bra. I've seen online from typically bra manufacturers to uh, change bras every year. I'm like you, I have sports bras in my drawers from probably medical school. So until they look bad, I'm pretty much keeping them. Have you found any evidence that the year uh, turnover should be recommended or is that more of just something to make us buy more? Yeah, I, I definitely don't know of any research that highlights a specific time. So just like mattress uh, recommendations and running shoes recommendations, I'm going to say it depends. I think it makes sense that you know, it's going to be different for different women, right? Based off of the size of the chest and what activity they do. I mean, if you're wearing a sports bra and you're playing rugby versus you're mainly walking, you know, for your physical activity, I mean, it makes sense that there's going to be different stressors on that bra. So there's probably a lot of us, myself included, who are wearing bras that really don't provide a lot of support. You know, the last, I mean, a lot of this material, rightfully, so it has to be in order to hopefully fit women well, you know, is made out of elastic, which is going to age. Um, certainly doesn't help that we're throwing them in the washer and then maybe even in the dryer. And, you know, obviously those environmental uh, factors are going to influence it as well to even get a little like nerdy. I mean, if you think about it, even where you're working out, you know, might um, really affect it. Like if you live in a humid climate versus a really arid climate versus like, I mean, I like to run when it rains, you know? So like, I mean, here I'm like getting that material even more wet. So um, no, very long answer to your question as usual, but no, I don't know of any research. And I do think, unfortunately, the answer is going to be, it depends because I think if someone has a larger chest and needs more support, they may notice things, uh, you know, that support structure wearing out sooner rather than later in someone who may not need as much support. Okay. And I will also say one, one last, you know, as, as a mom of three kids, like, I mean, it's just like, here's the other thing a woman's body changes throughout her life. You know, like what you are going to wear and prefer as a teenager and in your 20s and in your 30s and your 40s is, is going to change. So that's the other thing. You can invest a lot of money and time and energy and effort into buying a sports bra that works for you. Um, if you are pregnant and whether or not you breastfeed or not, I mean, your, your breasts are going to change and, and they may uh, keep that change. So um, it's one of those things where you can have a bunch of um, things that you feel like you figured out for your bras and then they change all over again. So, so that's also, I think, another thing to consider is that there's a whole other like subpopulation of women. And, and again, post-mastectomy, same thing. Post, you know, some type of um, chest treatment or chest pathology or breast pathology. Um, certainly there's that aspect as well. It's important to think about life changes because none of us are the same as we were. This is one of my conversations I have with, I guess, my arthritis patients is just like our face doesn't look the same as when we were 20. Not, basically, no part of our bar- body is exactly the same. Excuse no, me. I like that. I like, I'm going to use that in my clinic. I, I really like that, especially now that I can wear a mask and no one can really see my face. So that, that also helps as well. But I just, I do think, again, it highlights the gender dispute. Like, these are all like really kind of relevant, salient, not off the wall questions, you know, and points. And no one's really studying them which is nuts. Like, so it's, it's, it's so exciting to be a part of this because um, I just think it's a really important topic and there's so much to be studied. And you talk a little bit about this. Is there any specific things that are less irritating in terms of fabrics or class? But I mean, I'm pretty sure that's probably like a trial and error thing, but just wanted to see if there was anything you've come across that just universally people complain about or universally people wish was better. 
We didn't specifically ask that in terms of like types of material that people liked. Um, I think I was a little worried that I wouldn't in the answer choices, I probably wouldn't encompass everything. So we didn't specifically get to that. Um, but I'm sure there are differences, you know, again, and that may even vary like activity to activity, you know, like something might be comfortable walking and kind of doing lighter activity. And, and for a, uh, an individual, it may not be comfortable if they're doing more like, like some type of activity where there's more breast vertical motion. So, so yeah, no, I, we didn't ask anything specific to that. And I don't know of anything in that regard that there's been some foregone conclusion. So I think a lot of it has been market research. Probably the companies have the most research on this and the most data on this, but you know, whether that's actually reflected in the product that they produce and is available for purchase is a whole nother thing. Thanks. Um, I wanted to include a little question on something that I actually didn't even realize was something that was on the market or anything until I was doing some research for this podcast, but I came to realize that there actually are some sports bras for men. And that makes sense to me, even though I never thought about it before, because some men do have breasts and would probably want support for exercise. Did you see anything on research regarding this? Or I know there would be probably a lot less of that, but have you seen any information on this topic? Um, that's a really good question. I have personally not, um, but it totally makes sense. And we definitely, we wanted to be very inclusive in our research studies. So we um, did not exclude based off of, we, we based our inclusion on, on gender identity and, and not um, based off of uh, biological sex. So, so our study was inclusive, not that uh, the transgender community was a large part of our respondents, but I mean, I think that's another consideration as well. But in terms of cis men, I don't know of anything out there, but I really think to your point, there's probably a lot of men who would find more comfort, you know, I mean, um, and so that's, that's a whole nother area, I feel like that needs to be studied, which is great, because I certainly think if that's holding people back from being active, that's, you know, super important um, to be able to, to highlight. So I don't know of any specific research on it or someone specifically looking at it, but again, that's a whole nother arena that would be great, um, you know, to kind of look at and, and get into. And I don't think I saw any research either, but I'll try to include in any show notes on there, at least a link to some people who have tried different things for men, just in case there's any listeners who uh, that's something they want to look into for either themselves or even for patients. Totally. Cause I think that's the type of thing where I, I know I need to get better about, you know, just being like, what are the actual barriers? Like, you know, we, everyone who has a BMI that's elevated and outside of what our recommended range are is, I think they know, they know what they need to do, but are we good about actually assessing what the barriers are? And certainly I think for, for male patients, for male athletes, that's probably a barrier that, um, you know, not only do we not ask about it in females, but I don't think we ask about males. So I think that's a really good point you bring up. Well, thanks so much. Finding solutions to this could potentially improve physical activity rates. What are some future directions of research that you're thinking about right now? Well, I mean, some you've kind of brought up. I mean, I think the male athlete um, chest and bra support would be something interesting. Um, there are good biomechanical researchers out there. Like I said, there's a lab in Great Britain. I think there's a lab in Australia as well. Um, and um, those are folks, I think, you know, I mean, there's not that many sports bras publications in PubMed, so you can zero in on them. So 
I think more biomechanical research would be important. But as I um, mentioned before, I think some qualitative stuff would be important. And certainly my interest uh, is looking at, you know, how is this a barrier to uh, physical activity? Not necessarily even sports. Like I think that's super important, but to the general population as a whole, especially again, with a number of young people who are already overweight or obese, um, you know, how does this uh, impact, you know, what, what their barriers are to physical activity. So, um, and again, that could be males as well, not just females. So I think the sky is the limit. They just, you know, I, I really feel like for how many years, you know, we've been becoming involved in sports and uh, all the other technologies we have. So, so many other things, this has really been understudied. So I think there's a lot of it. And hopefully um, people listen to this podcast, you know, if you have some brainstorming ideas, feel free to reach out to, you know, contact me and, and let's continue to brainstorm because I think that's important. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge with us, Katie. I'd like to thank you for taking the time for this discussion and the AMSSM as well for giving us this platform. It will be exciting to follow this over the next few years. If, if people have any questions, is there any way that they can contact you? Yeah, probably the best way would be through email or Twitter. Uh, I do uh, check my messages. I know Dr. Mooney is very good at Twitter. Um, I'm so-so at Twitter. So um, my email address is Catherine underscore Rizzoni, R-I-Z-Z-O-N-E, at urmc.rochester.edu. I'm pretty sure that's out in the public sphere someplace. Um, so, but certainly I'm, uh, I'm sure you can contact AMSSM. Jody obviously has a great list of all the people that we have, but you know, I think let's just keep uh, collaborating and interacting and, and brainstorming together. It's, it's again, it's you can tell how passionate I am about it. I think a lot of other people feel the same way.